Welcome to Ministry Leaders Anonymous. My name is Chris Bartlett. And I'm Matt Rice. And we hope to provide a moment of sanity during a busy week of ministry. We've both been in ministry for a number of years, and we've just about seen it all. And as damaged as we are, we hope to bring light to the hurts, hopes, and hungers that every minister has. And we are here live at the Dallas Ministry Conference. Make some noise. (laughs) (laughs) Wonderful. (laughs) We are here filming live or recording live. And uh, we've been doing this topic for two days in a row now, Yep. and it's called Tough Topics. So what we're going to do is we're going to seek to navigate some of the tough topics, and how do we navigate these tough topics in a way that brings hope and God's love as permanent. And Chris, I don't know what I'm going to do not staring at your face the whole time. You guys know, like, we typically do this over Zoom, and so we're staring at each other as we're doing this. And now I I get to look at y'all's lovely faces and, and not his which is strange for me. Yes, thank you. And he can actually reach out and touch me. This is awkward on so many levels. So we are going to be taking live questions from the audience that's here today, uh, navigating a number of different areas that we found as topics that we discerned over the last couple of days. We've been doing this session, and uh, we have eight up on the board, and we're going to seek to do it with love. We're going to seek to do it in a way that navigates it, but we're not going to seek to do it perfectly. Unfortunately, we can't succeed there. Yep. Absolutely. One of the things that I've introduced each session with is just kind of a story of a young person who typically they they stop learning about the faith at about 8th to 10th 10th grade, right? They go through confirmation and they stop learning. No matter how good the program is, they just, they don't come after that. 80% of them stop coming. And so they, and most programs aren't talking about these topics at that age range. And so then they go on and then they have, they build up friendships, they build relationships with people that struggle with this stuff and they don't know how to respond to it. So then they're, they're struggling with whether or not they stay in the church or they maintain their friendship. And that's a struggle that's, that's a false struggle. And so we as a church have got to start talking about stuff like this. Silence is, uh, it says something. And the silence that exists oftentimes in the church regarding these tough topics says that this is not a place to bring those issues. But we all know as ministry leaders that the church is where you bring every question you have, our sexuality, our brokenness, our confusion, our sins. We all bring it to Christ. And so we have to start the dialogue somewhere. And that's what we're doing today. Yeah, and if every hurt and confusion that we have we don't bring to the church, we don't bring to the cross, we're missing out. And, and we as a church have done something wrong. If people don't have the ability or, or they don't feel like they can come to the church with that struggle, with that wound, with that confusion. So let's dive in. Do we have a question? Where's our first question going to come from today? I'm Marie Isabel Garcia, uh, Portuguese, but been in the, this country for 40 some odd years. I'm the librarian for my church, and that's why I'm here. And that's why I was wondering if you would do some, something like this as a program mm-hmm. for the whole parish in my library instead of just for youth ministers. But my question is, how might we help people understand that abortion is not going to go away with just politics, with just you know legal aspects? Of course, prayer, we know it's true. But we need to change the mentality about it. Excellent. How people see it, why is it so important to us that abortion should be wiped out? Right. And we have all kinds of political movements and all that. But I think one of the best ones that I've seen working is, uh, you know, through the Internet, where they have a website and will be the first one the girls, women see when they're looking for abortion. And they're told there's an alternative. Yes. Mm. So that's the way I see us going in, uh, you know, trying to approach people 
to change their mentality uh, about abortion. Great. So real easy question, how might we shift an entire culture? <laughs> We're starting with a big one. Yes. <laughs> so I, I think that's a great question, and I, I love the fact that it doesn't come at an approach of how do we create more programs or how do we create more resources, but how do we shift the mentality? I think this goes back to a bigger root, right? And the root is that life is a gift. And I think in all of this, we need to come back to kind of a couple major realities. One, that God is love, right? And a loving God would not give us something that wasn't a blessing, right? Now, he allows evil to take place because he gives us the gift, and again, another gift. He gives us the gift of free will. But when it comes to human life, he doesn't give us that to burden us. And then the other piece is the dignity of the human person comes along with that. Anyone that is, is only because of love, because they only exist because of God. Now, Matt, what are your thoughts? How do we communicate that to a culture? Well, I mean, and one of the things that we've done in, this, uh, in these sessions is break it down to something that we can do as a parish. Like, what can we do actually, you know, as a parish? And when you look at the, the huge elephant that you just, that question that you asked, that's huge. So, okay, well, what is one thing that I can do in, in my program or in my library, wherever you are? What's one thing that you can do? And everyone's going to have a different answer, you know, for what they do there. But talking about life in, a, in, the, in the positive sense is going to be so much better. And, and 40 Days for Life have seen, has seen this as well, is the, the negative of if you do this, this is the bad thing that's happening um, isn't as attractive as look at how beautiful life is, you know? And so when you talk about, you may not actually be talking about abortion specifically in your program. You may just be talking about life and how beautiful life is and how beautiful every single individual life is. And once you talk about the truth, then people will be able to compare the truth to what the culture shows. And millennials and Gen Z a lot of times experience is superior to information, which is why things like Snapchat and social media, they crowdsource the truth based upon the experience of their friends or their network, right? And so to allow them to experience the beauty of life is vital and important. What that means, celebrating life is a great way to help shift the culture, um, is if your parish uh, has baptisms, which every parish does, but infant baptisms, to look at maybe once a month having those baptisms take place in one of the regular Saturday evening or Sunday masses, one of the regular liturgies, so that everyone can celebrate life together. When we're doing a baby shower, I've seen different pro-life organizations do a baby shower, maybe actually have some new mothers show up in the back when they're collecting the different supplies with the babies that they can see, oh, this is what the diaper goes on things of that nature, to celebrate life along the way. So that's a practical aspect. And there's always an age-appropriate way to talk about all of these topics. Um, and if we're thinking about the way that people stop going and learning about the church after 8th or 10th grade, we need to have something that's age-appropriate for people that are younger than high school age. You know, so what is it that we're going to be presenting to them? Because we, we've got to get something in their hands before they leave. Great. Next question. Thank you so much. Hi, my name is Maria, and I am from St. Francis of Assisi in Lancaster. Uh, I'm a catechist, 22, 23 years, and I want to know how, I, how we might deal with every one of those. 
<laughs> now, the biggest one I'm dealing with right now, I teach eight, ninth, and tenth graders, and they love my class. They, they miss when we're not there. Homosexuality. Mm. And basically, I just, I, anything that we discuss in our class, I tell them, will not go out anywhere else. Yep. But basically, because I want to win their trust, um, I've had suicide, I've had all these things happen in the previous years, and so I'm just open to all of them. I'm their mother. <laughs> so how do we tell them, or how do we bring that up? Or how, what do we answer? What do we say? Great, yeah. And I think that they're actually connected because the whole idea of the dignity of the human person is where we need to start when we start our conversations regarding homosexuality. And this just isn't with youth. It's in general, right? And so God is first here to love us. He gives us the gift of the church and the commandments in order to help us stay on the path. Now, if that path, if we stray from the path, guess what? God goes off the path and finds us. We hear this. He leaves the 99 to chase us down because we are worth it. And so often, the silence that existed around these topics or in regards to people who misunderstand the church teaching, making the church or those who embrace the church teaching seem like bigots or haters or whatever it is, um, they put words in our mouth that simply aren't true, and we haven't reclaimed the language. We have to reclaim the dialogue, and that dialogue begins with God loving you and you have dignity as a human person. Everything else flows from that reality. So we don't start with uh, sexual identity. We don't start with sexual preferences. We don't start with their brokenness or their depression. We don't start with the sin or whatever it is, the confusion. We start with love and dignity. Yeah, and we're building relationships. This is... this. With everyone in our life, there's something that every one of us has an area to grow in, no matter what. You're never going to learn that area that the person needs to grow in without relationship, without knowing them. And so the first thing is like not looking at this as an issue that we need to debate. This is a person that, that we need to love. And, and young people need to know that, that we're talking about people here, and we love, we love people. Like whoever they are, we love them, and we and we accompany them. We we journey with them through their life, and it doesn't matter like what they struggle with, really, because all of us struggle with something. Um, and you're not going to be able to speak into that or in any way, shape, or form, no matter who they are, if you don't know them, if you don't have a relationship with them. And young people are developing real relationships with people that struggle with all all types of things. And if we don't let them know that that you can do that and, and love that person and be a faithful Catholic. And people struggle with all types of things, even same-sex attraction, and they're fully Catholic. Um, and that we as a church embrace them, love them, and all of us have areas that we need to grow in. Now, statistically, uh, it would mean that the people that we're teaching, more often than not, will know someone who, uh, who identifies as a homosexual or gay um, or as a part of the LGBTQ plus community. More often than not, the majority of the youth that we're ministering to or the majority of the pe people we're talking to are not uh, struggling with those, those type of things directly. Now, here's the thing. I think it's important that we also acknowledge the beauty of some of their questions or their desires. It seems unfair that a man and woman can get married, but these two people love each other and they can't get married to each other according to the church. That's not fair. I want them to be able to have a full expression of love as well. Pause. Right there, that statement 
is coming from a great place. Acknowledge that you desire people to have a full expression of love in their life. Like that's a beautiful thing. I'm not going to say that you're wrong or that, uh, you know, shame you for those type of things. That's a beautiful desire. Now let's talk about that. Let's look at natural law. Let's look at the way that we're created. Is the fullness expression going to happen between two people of the same gender in, 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 a, uh, in a marriage type of setting? And the answer is no, but can you still have brotherly love, right, or sisterly love in, in a full expression that would glorify God? Absolutely. So how do we navigate that? Acknowledging that their desire actually comes from a good place. Oftentimes when people get hurt, frustrated, or offended, they're coming from a place of like wanting to be a hero for some other people that are struggling or that are hurt by their church and they want to protect and defend them. That's a good place. Jesus wants us to protect each other. So acknowledging that along the way is important as well. And then accompaniment, right? So there's not going to be a program, a teaching, or a website that's going to be the turnkey solution. The most important thing we can do is enter into their story. So often they're not uh, struggling with the church teaching just because well, intellectually, I read this, and then my theoretical mind said this. They're like, no, I know someone who, who has been hurt. I know someone who's struggling. Enter into that story and pray for those people, pray with those people, and journey with them. Great? Awesome. Next question. Hello, uh, my name is Christopher, and uh, I'm 19 years old. So um, as a young adult, like, and as Catholic for most of my life, um, my parents and the church has taught me that there's um, two genders, male and female. So for most of my life, I've accepted that. However, um, entering in college, uh, this movement of gender identity has been like really confusing to me. So I've been trying to learn and understand what exactly gender identity is. And people, knowing that I am Catholic, have approached me to say, oh, well, what does your church say about this? Because apparently there's only male and female. What do you have to say about it? And I'm left confused like, I don't know. <laughs> this is really confusing. So uh, how might we as young adults uh, comprehend what gender identity is? And how might we um, like spread the truth, uh, spread what we believe to, the, um, to these young adults that are... Um, how should I say, that are um, that believe in gender, gender identity, that they believe that there's a spectrum. I actually haven't read a lot on this. There's a book by Mark Yarhouse that I want to um, look at, but I know that the, uh, there's an idea behind this is the, how someone gets to where they are um, doesn't really matter. You know, we struggle, or like sometimes we debate of nature versus nurture, you know, all this kind of stuff. That, that doesn't matter. You know, where are they right now? And so I, I guess it, in my, like what I would do in that situation is I would just begin a dialogue with them, you know, is, you know, why do you feel so passionate about this? Like, what is it that, that like, do you know someone that struggles with this? And, and just start a dialogue because you're not going to be able to convince anyone of anything with just a one-word sentence, you know, or and, and I would dive into a longer conversation with someone about this, and then you do the research on like do the research yourself as as far as what the church teaches. It's, I mean, it's like natural law. It's pretty easy to have a conversation about that, but then, yeah, sorry. Great. So, <laughs> Christopher, excellent question. This is one of those situations where we can be right 
and wrong at the same time. So you're having a dialogue with someone who believes that gender is fluid, right? And, uh, and you tell them, well, the church's position, and this is truth, right? The church's position is that God created us male and female, end of story, boom, welcome to high school freshman, you're wrong. You know what I mean? That type of thing. And then they're hurt, they're closed off to dialogue, and you're right, right? That is the church's position. We've shared the teaching, but they weren't in a place where they could receive that teaching, so much so that the truth actually caused a wound for them, and now they've moved further away from uh, a relationship with someone who wants to lead them to Jesus. So we can be right and wrong at the same time, which is why we're talking about tough topics, because I think this happens in a number of these different categories that we're talking about today. So how do you navigate that, right? And so I think that sometimes getting to the right answer means asking the right questions. So I think Matt is right, start a dialogue. Well, what do you think about this? And then, well, let's take a step back a little bit further. What do you believe the purpose of our sexuality is, right? That's a great question. Well, if the purpose of our sexuality is to be an expression of how we feel or how we identify or whatever, um, then you can turn around and say, well, I believe that the purpose of our sexuality is this. So you've heard their response, now you can share your response, and that's where you can bring the truth into play, uh, the church teaching into play, you know? And, and so again, that goes back to the topic of like, like marriage and, and things like that. Like what is the purpose of sexual union, right? And one of the purposes is to procreate. Like it cannot work to bring forth life any other way. And so natural law is a great, uh, a great way to step back and say, okay, we can't all agree on, on this gender piece, but we can't all agree on like gravity, right? You drop something, it falls down. Like we can agree on certain laws of nature that exist. And if we look at the natural order, we're taking God and religion out of it and we start with the natural order. I believe that we can have better dialogue to build bridges. And then the, why are you so passionate about this? Why are you so convicted about it? And that's where we bring love. Well, I believe that God gave us the gift of our gender, right? as a gift of love, like it's a gift, there's a purpose. He created us with purpose and on purpose, and that's the purpose of male, that's the purpose of female, and it's beautiful. And then, well, why don't you call me by my preferred pronoun? Well, because I believe that I would be supporting you in denying a gift that God gave you, and I hope that you can respect me in regards to that, acknowledging that. And so to ask for mutual respect, even though there's differences, and that's really hard ever since political elections that have happened that you have grown up in as Generation Z, like seeing that people just put venom towards each other, but seeking authentic dialogue oftentimes is sitting down after you've built a relationship. It's a process called accompaniment, and I think that's where the beauty of it is, that we listen first, we listen second, and then we talk finally after that. Great question, thank you. Other question, there we go. Okay, hello. Um, my name is Valerie, I'm 17. Um, and I'm on the younger side, so my question is based on uh, struggling faith. And so the question is, um, how might we help the youth who are struggling when they're, with their faith when they don't agree with what the church is teaching? Excellent question. About what? Yeah, what, what is the church teaching about what? Just, yeah, like about um, how their beliefs on homosexuality or abortion, or like basically all uh, The that tough topics, stuff. yeah. yeah. How, how do we, how do we yeah, journey with them? So... I, I want to I acknowledge and affirm you as a youth, first of all, for asking a bold question, but secondly, for acknowledging that there are youth out there that disagree with aspects of the church teaching, and they struggle with their faith. 
because so often we see in our society, if you disagree, you withdraw, right? We all saw that after the elections, people who disagreed with who won the election or who voted for who, all of a sudden unfriended people. There was this mass unfriending, right? And so we as adults have set this precedent for our youth that if you disagree, you withdraw. So for, what was your name again? So for Valerie to acknowledge that there are youth that are staying in the church even though they disagree with certain aspects of the teaching and they're struggling with it, that's heroic in our day and age because of what our culture has set for the rules of dialogue. If you disagree, you withdraw completely. So we need to acknowledge that there are teens that want to be faithfully Catholic and love Jesus deeply, but they're torn in regards to uh, misunderstandings or uh, disagreements with church teaching. So just to acknowledge that in the beginning, I think is beautiful. So the question was, how do we reach out to these youth? How do we even have conversations with them? Providing a space, and I don't know if it would be at the church, um, providing a space where they can actually sit down, sit around and have dialogue would be one of my idea, one of my thoughts. And it may be at the local coffee shop. You publish it in, I don't know, where, where, where would you even post it? It'd, it'd be on social media and stuff like that, you know, um, and I don't know how you would phrase it in a way that would be attractive to young people to come and have dialogue about whatever it is. But it may be as simple as, I'm a, an old person would say Facebook, um, but would you be able to invite people to an event through Instagram or Snapchat, something like that, where you, you say, hey guys, you know, I, I'm struggling with, you know, why the church teaches this. I know you were Catholic or you are Catholic and I just want to have a dialogue about it. Um, let's go to, let's meet at the coffee shop and talk. Um, I don't know if that would like bear fruit. I don't know how to reach people that are struggling with the faith because they don't typically telegraph that, right? They're not telling you that they're having a, 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 a trouble with this particular teaching. So that, that's a really hard group to reach. We have to create context where we can listen. So I, I, you, you're, what you're talking about is creating listening sessions, but we have to create a place where we can dialogue. Because the reality is, is those who are not struggling with their faith are in one of two categories. They're either dead <laughs> or they're not faithful, right? The greatest saints wrestled. You look at St. Teresa of Calcutta, and she struggled with kind of the dark night of the soul that she experienced for so many years. Like, wrestling with the faith is how we get our hands dirty with the faith, is how we take ownership over the faith, is how God raises up saints to transform cultures because of that. And so we have to be in a place where we have constant dialogue about what does it mean? Prayer is difficult. I'm struggling in this area. Or I really uh, I, I have hope for these people. Or I'm nervous about what's taking place in the church in this aspect. All those aspects are indicators of struggling in the faith, and we have to be able to process it in the light of Christ. The challenge is that so often youth are taught or catechized or formed in a way that it's because the church says so, that's why. And we don't leave enough room for them to have and speak a voice of, well, I'm concerned about this, I'm confused about this, or dare I say, I disagree with this. And to be able to say, we acknowledge you, not as a young Catholic, not to belittle them as a young Catholic, and you'll get over it someday. No, we acknowledge you as a member of the body of Christ, of having an opinion that's valid and needs to be heard, and something that we as a church need to better respond to. To acknowledge our own shortcomings as a faith to these questions, right? The church has not done well in creating on-ramps for people who struggle with their gender identity, for people who struggle with same-sex attraction, 
for people who have experienced divorce or abortion. We have not done a good job. And to acknowledge that and to hear the heart of the young church cry out for these people is a beautiful thing. So acknowledging, yes, your concern is valid. And yes, there is a pathway to this. Let's discover it together. And that's where that accompaniment comes in once again. And we, we're in the midst of in a, a multi-generational catechetical and evangelical crisis. So we have like young people who don't know the church teachings and don't know Jesus. We have their parents who don't know church teachings and don't know Jesus. We have their grandparents that don't know church teachings and don't know Jesus. So we've got all of those different generations that we have to reach with all of this. And you've got to start somewhere, right? And so that's why I, I talk about before they graduate, you know, through confirmation, we've got to have something in our programs to, to have a, a space for them to talk about this stuff, for them to, to share their doubts, to share their struggles, and for us as catechists to be okay with them struggling, with them disagreeing with church teaching and making sure that they have the, the, a chance to express that and talk about that. And then we've, we've got to hope that there's someone else that's going to reach the other generations. Like, whatever, wherever you're called to be, reach that generation for that topic. Um, but we have to trust that God is going to be reaching them or the older generations um, in, his, in his way, however he chooses to do it, maybe through someone else in this room. But I'm going to focus on this age group because that's where God's called me. And the fruit of it is spectacular. So let me tell you, my wife and I, we both struggled with the church's teaching on Mary, her role in the church, her role in the spiritual journey for quite some time. We wrestled with it. We sought answers. We found the fullness of the truth. And now we pray the rosary every single day. Like, right? And that's a powerful, like, that's an awesome weapon against the devil, right? And so it's through that that we have now taken ownership of the teaching that we once struggled with. And that's why acknowledging the beauty of the struggle and the validity of the questioning is such an important piece of the process because it leads to deeper ownership for those who are wrestling with it. And so that, that's the first place is to create those. And it, and it doesn't matter how old you are. If you struggle with something, you tend to keep it secret and you keep it hidden from other people and you feel like you're a bad Catholic because you don't believe this or you don't believe that. And that's, and that's not right. You know, we, and I don't know if that's just something that we do internally or as a church, somehow we've made that as part of our culture, that if you're not a perfect Catholic, if you don't um, adhere to every single one of these teachings, you don't pray the rosary every single day, you don't know all of these prayers, then you're a bad Catholic. And that's not true. And Jesus hung on the cross for us bad Catholics, <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah, especially us bad Catholics. I think we have one here and then one here. Great. My name is Susie. Instead of going so wide a net as the Internet, Facebook, and all those, why not just start at the church? We receive one of the pamphlets as we leave. Why not start there? Yeah, exactly. I think there needs to be a variety of pieces to where um, Valerie probably has friends that aren't coming to the youth program anymore because of some of the ways that they've struggled. And so how do we empower Valerie to say, no, this is a place where we can ask questions. This is a place where we can wrestle with the faith and make people feel welcome, even if they disagree. And that's a really hard thing to do with the culture that we exist in right now. So, And it, and it may be that you pick a particular tough topic for your parish to focus on for a year. And every single organization is going to learn what the church teaches in a loving way about each of these topics. 
or no, about that one particular topic throughout the year. I'm talking about the ushers, the Knights of Columbus. Everyone is going to learn what the church teaches because we've got, in, and it could be pamphlets, but it could also be like bringing someone in to present you know, on the topic. And what that does is something that's really neat. Our church is willing to talk about this issue, which means that I'm struggling with this issue, but the church is probably willing to talk about this issue as well because they talked about this other issue. You know, it creates dialogue all along the way. Excellent. Great question. Next question. My name is Anita. I work with adults, RCIA people who are seeking to come into the church. And sometimes there are, um, if, if they're living together, I have to be the one to say, your, your situation needs to be reconciled. And if they're not ready for marriage, um, you know, it, it, it becomes a difficult conversation to say, we want you to come into the church, we want to welcome you, but there is this thing called sin. And to be able to address um, why marriage is important um, or, or the relationship should be, um, I guess, made valid before you can receive other sacraments. And so it brings up the, the topic of grace a lot. And, and um, so how do we or how might we incorporate that whole um, idea that in the sacraments comes grace and living in grace and being in grace is um, what Jesus calls us to be? Sure. And so for the sake of marriage prep, are we talking more about divorce and remarriage or cohabitation? Cohabitation, because they're, they're in a relationship, but the church doesn't view it as valid. And so I have to deliver the message that we want you to be welcomed, and, and I want to welcome you into the church. Right. But your situation says that this is, that we can't. Right. You know, so, it, so we uh, hurt feelings. So obviously you lead with that they're going to hell. Right? <laughs> Never lead with that. Absolutely not. Um, exactly. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and this is where you lead with the, the, the truth, the authentic. One of the, have you guys all heard the analogy of, of a bank and the bank teller trying to find out if something is a counterfeit bill? They don't study all of the counterfeits. They study a real bill. They study a, like a, an authentic bill, and they learn that bill inside and out so that when they see something that's counterfeit, they can recognize it as false because there's no way you're going to look at all, be able to learn all the ways that people can get it wrong. You look at how they get it right. And so that's when you get to present the beauty you know, of the church's teaching about marriage you know, and, and all that. And you don't, I would say... I would say that you probably don't have to directly directly address the way they're living for a, a, a while, you know, or may, it all depends on how long your prep your preparation is. But you talk to them about the the beauty of what the marriage is and what preparation for marriage is, the beauty of theology of the body, and you dive into all that. Then they start to see the beauty of what they want, and they desire that for their relationship, and then things change. I know my wife and I contracepted for years, and we struggled with that. I don't, we didn't actually struggle with that. We didn't, we didn't think there was anything wrong with it right. for years. And then it was like once I started to learn what the church taught about it, I was like, we need to stop this. You know? and, and, and that's what we did. You know? So once we realized the truth of, or the beauty of the truth, then we wanted to change to fit that. And how many kids do you have? Six. <laughs> that's beautiful. <laughs> many gifts, many blessings. So... Here's one of the challenges that exists is 
they, they could come back and say, well, if, if God loves me, right, and I am just having a full expression of love with my fiance, like, who are you to say that we're not allowed to, to do that or to, 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 to be together, right? And then there's going to be those who actually, cause, so it's relativism. So your truth is your truth. That's what you and the church teach. But my truth is different, and this has been my experience. Again, experience is king for, for many of these millennials and uh, Gen Z. Um, is my experience is that this is a full, fuller expression of love, and as an engaged couple, we want to be able to experience that as we prepare for marriage. It's very confusing. And then you have the, the other side of it. Someone comes, and you're like, no, God can, God can heal anything. And they're like, well, I've been depressed for 13 years. Why hasn't God healed me yet? Right, so this is messy. It's hard. It's difficult. Like, if God can do anything, like, why can't God make this easier for us to not end up fornicating before marriage, or for me not to desire to want to cut myself when I'm struggling with depression, or all these different pieces, um, the the habitual sins that we struggle with. It's like, why hasn't He healed us yet? You know, and uh, and so it's hard to navigate that. And people are going to possibly get offended along the way, which is why that dialogue at the beginning of sharing the beauty. This is the destination. This is where we're going. And it's okay wherever we start, right? We start in different places, but this is where we're going. Now, how do we get there? Some people will come back with arguments, and we have to be willing to hear, receive, and validate those arguments. Okay, so uh, we're living together, and, well, we can't afford two apartments. We're going to just do one apartment. This is the only way. Um, and then a lot of times I hear, well, why don't someone sleep on the couch and someone sleep in the bedroom? Um, I... <laughs> I, I don't know. Like, I, I don't know if that's possible as much as maybe finding a couple that has had a, a child already leave the home and they have an empty bedroom and say, well, what if we found you a host family for the last three months? And for three months, you guys really dive towards marriage prep together and give them options to where you're helping them um, navigate the church teaching together. Like, it's not just the church saying, here are these rules, jump through these hoops, fill out this paperwork and make sure you get your baptism certificate to me and you got to get in confirmation class. It's like all these different things. It's like hoop, 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 hoop to jump through um, when in fact we're actually going to have someone that's going to open their home and you can live with them for the next three months as you journey towards marriage. And that takes a parish to do marriage prep, not just a person to do marriage prep, which again is a cultural shift in the way we do formation. Right, So it's not just on you in sharing the truth, it's on everybody in sharing the truth and celebrating the dignity of marriage together, even in the formation process. Cool. Next question. Um, my name is Dora, and my question is, as a daughter of an immigrant, how would I um, disagree in a nice way with my own family sometimes, with my children at catechist, and how would I do it in a loving way when you don't agree with all the hate towards the president? Great, yeah. That is a, that's a great question. And it's fascinating in, uh, in our day and age because here in Texas, where, uh, where we record from and everything, it's almost like being a Catholic and being a Republican are aligned um, and, and then there's uh, certain other, uh, other cultures that are like, well, no, being a Catholic and being a Democrat are aligned. But I want to let you know, like, Jesus is not Republican or Democrat. He is God, right? And so the dignity of every human person is vital. And I believe that uh, our, our, our society could do a better job about welcoming people 
I believe that our church could do a better job about welcoming people. But when we disagree, we marginalize in very similar ways, as do, uh, as do certain borders and boundaries that make people feel marginalized as well. And those type of disagreements, like I mentioned earlier, can create division that runs deeper, right? Because this is division in the home. You're talking about division in the home over some of these tough topics. And the home is the domestic church. Who is cheering on that division? The devil himself wants to divide the domestic church. So the question isn't how do we get them to understand our viewpoint? It's how do we make Christ the center of our homes? Yeah. And the like our culture wants us to ignore the person that disagrees with us or like you said marginalize them if you disagree with me you hate me and that's not true and so that may be part of the conversation is you know why do you feel so like like so much animosity towards trump you know what is it about what he's doing that bothers you so much dive into that with them and and then get down to oh you you love this person <laughs> you know you you want this person to feel welcome you want people to have an option or whatever it is um but like not allowing their disagreement with you to keep you from having a conversation with them and showing that you care about them when they disagree with you helps as well um yeah, to say it in a different way, uh, to acknowledge, I'm going to love the people that you also love, right? Help me understand why you love these people. On the hate part, that's really not something, I'm not going to hate the same people that you hate. I'm going to try and love the people, love our enemies, love the people. And again, even using that phrase, well, the church, the Bible says love your enemies. So you admit it, this man is our enemy. And it's like, no, that's not what I'm saying. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so, um, so to try and understand, because a lot of times... What we've done is we've confused our, our switches, right? And so instead of looking and be like, I'm called to love these people, we see the oppression that sometimes comes, and we look at the other end, and it's like, oh, the oppression comes from this way, so let's all turn our back on the same people that they're turning their back on, proverbially, and to yell at them. You shouldn't turn your back on these people. Well, your back is turned to those same people to yell at the people that you're hating on, right? And so what does it mean to truly love? So you're mad at, you're, you have a family member that's mad at, at the president or at a bishop or at whoever. Why? Well, because they hurt these people. So your anger comes from a place of love. Help me understand how I can help you and also help me love those people more. And so you shift the conversation from what they would consider the aggressor or the oppressor to those that they're trying to love because there's truth and beauty in that. We are called to love all people, so we can get. So that's where the agreement can start, right? Well, don't you hate the president because of this, because of that, or whatever? Be like, I'm just going to focus on loving these people, because if you, if you feel like he's not, then I have to love double. Let's love double. You know what I mean? Let's love double, and let's let's focus on that. And that's something as a church, like we need more love. God is love, and we were made in the image and likeness of God. So we were made by love for love. So let's do that. Let's do that. Yeah, and the, being argumentative or hating another person isn't helping the people you're trying to help, which is what Chris just said, but it's also putting more like anger and hate out there in the world. It's like, okay, I get it. You, you don't agree with what he's doing, but what can we do about it? What can we do to address the things that you care about so that we can stop talking about hating this person? Let's talk about doing something that we're passionate about. What can we do together to do that? 
And the last thing I would encourage is with the people that we disagree with, when's the last time that we prayed for those people? Let's go one step bolder. With the people that we disagree with, when's the last time we prayed with those people? So actually praying together because we have common goals. We do. We have different approaches but common goals. And I think that as Catholics, we have to be willing to acknowledge that and journey with people, even non-Catholics, even family members. Like, it's so much harder to preach the gospel at home than anywhere else. It is absolutely true, and that is a, a, a bold, a bold uh, question. So thank you. Yeah. We got time for maybe one more question? Hopefully this is a quick question. But, um, so the clergy is kind of, right? Uh, as obviously, this is a, a to very tough topic. And uh, it, I feel like it's very wide not, uh, wide known for everyone, but I don't feel like it has been, has been addressed with youth. And I wanted to ask you, with your experience, how much youth, uh, high school and middle school kids, are um, aware of, of of this issue, and if do you think it's being addressed? Because I I haven't seen it addressed properly. Because maybe we assume that they don't know about it. Because maybe those are news that only adults read. Um, but in your experience, what have you seen? How aware are the youth about this, and how can we address that topic? I think that assumption is, is one of the reasons why none of these topics are talked about with our young people. Because we think for some reason they don't see the news, they don't see the tweets and the retweets, they don't see what their, their friends are posting about this. And, so, and it's hard to talk about, so we don't talk about it. I, I think the youth are absolutely exposed to it. There's, there's no doubt that they're exposed to it. And our silence on it is deafening. We absolutely need to talk about it, just like we need to talk about every single one of these issues. How do you do that? You know, Obviously, with obedience to your pastor and obedience to your bishop, that's, that's always hard. It's always, it's, this situation is so much better from the top down. If the bishop is the one who's really supporting the priests, who are talking about it. I, I heard of one bishop who like, spoke out to his priests and thanked all of the priests that were actually addressing it in their parishes, which encourages the other priests to do that. And the priests that do it then encourages their catechists to do the same thing. But then we've heard the opposite, where you hear the bishops who give a pre-written letter to their priests to read you know, at one liturgy or one weekend masses and then that's it. Nothing else is ever said, and he doesn't want them talking about it. Right. You know, and so then, like, what do you do at, in obedience to, to that? I mean, and that's where you, you have to wrestle with your conscience and decide what you need to do. Um, I, I would definitely be talking to it with my young people, almost regardless. And it's like, I would go, all of these topics, I would be going through whatever channels I could to be, I guess, uh, Credited or accredited to be able to speak on those topics to my young people, um, but absolutely find a way. You know, it's it's not can I, it's how can I um, talk to my young people about this. And there's a difference between middle school and high school, and uh, and so I think especially for younger adolescents, it's important to start the dialogue with things like what have you heard, right? And then we get to hear what they have heard, because there are certain details that were released in the port uh, in the reports that are horrifically scandalizing, not appropriate for anyone under the age of 400 to hear. Like it was, I mean, we've, we've all heard some of those things and our hearts literally broke. Um, but at the younger ages, like it's not fair to ask them to process those things with where they're at, right? And so we have to do it in an age appropriate way. 
it's so funny because the, the, the youth are talking about these things. Maybe not as much as the adults are talking about these things. You know, they don't, might not know who the vice president is or whatever. But they're talking about all these things that the adults are talking about on a different level. I think about Ariana Grande's song, God is a Woman, right? She brought up more dialogue about spirituality and gender identity in that one song than most youth programs ever have. Right? And so maybe Cardi B needs to write a song about the sex scandal in the church, the clergy abuse scandal, so that we can start talking about it with our youth because then we'll have an on-ramp to that. Or maybe we need to be bold enough to have these conversations in appropriate contexts to reach out and have, these, have this dialogue. And I think one of the pieces is simply to acknowledge, hey, some of you have known that there's uh, some scandal going on in the church with the clergy. Um, we're going to pray a decade of the rosary at the end of our youth program tonight for the priests. Like our priests at our parish are faithful and they're getting almost persecuted. People are assuming bad things of them because some of their other brother priests from other states and other dioceses, and maybe even with our, in our own diocese, um, have, have not been appropriate in the way that they've handled themselves. So let's pray for our priests and for those priests. And prayer, because then they feel like they're doing something. And the youth love to be advocates, just like we do, right? We were literally created for mission. You know what I mean? We were created for mission. And when we can commission, partner with the youth to be a part of that greater mission of the church, they get excited about it. And it fills them with hope. Silence doesn't. It fills them with confusion. And for some of the youth, they were just looking for another reason to tell mom and dad why they didn't want to go to church that morning. And now they found it. And without that proper dialogue, we don't get to put it in to where the future of the church relies on your shoulders, your faithfulness, because greater things are yet to come because we believe that God will rise up saints from your generation. One more. I just was going to say for all the youth, go to your DRE, your director of religious ed. I've asked all the time, and we start stuff. Plus, I also bring it up in class. How might we address birth control? Um, yeah, I mean, it goes with the abortion issue as well. So how, what can we tell the kids? Right. And so I've heard a number of different arguments to where it's like we need to delay talking about certain aspects of human sexuality until they're married or something like that. And I'm like, oh, it's, you know, chastity, chastity, chastity. We don't have to worry about teaching about birth control because we've taught them to be chaste, right? But the reality is, is that the majority of Catholics are contracepting. I think it's like 60% or something, something along those lines. Um, and then... Then with like natural family planning and different pieces like that, the church has a beautiful response. But even in that context, we need to make sure it's done with an openness to life throughout the whole thing. So we take a step back again. Why? Why? Why does this matter? Because life is a gift. All life is precious. And sexuality is sacred. And so to start with those realities from natural law and to build on those truths, so often we want to fast forward to the end and be like, don't, uh, don't use a condom. Don't take birth control pills. It's like, no, 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 no. Let's start at the beginning and talk about the why, the dignity, the love that exists in those realities. And then, yeah, and then, then we get to talk about how that's expressed, how that's authentically expressed between a man and a woman in marriage. And, and again, you start from the beginning, and then you've got a foundation to talk about all, almost all of these things. Um, but if you don't have that foundation first, you've got nothing to stand on. And, and none of this connects. Like everything about this that we've been talking about this whole time, it all connects to a, like a, a, a common foundation. We just have to establish that, that foundation first before we can move on to the, the end, end 
I guess the end goal. I don't even know if there's an end goal. Heaven? Yes. <laughs> yeah. There is. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I, I also think it's important when, when we start these dialogues, neat questions start to arise, right? So we do one at our youth program, and, and someone asked, you know, could Hitler have gone to heaven, right? That's a great question, but why is it being asked? Because there's a team that says Hitler did all these horrible things, and if God can save that soul, then maybe he can save mine because I've done some horrible things as well that I don't want to talk about. So I'm going to ask this question this way. And so we look at some of the questions that are coming, and it reveals the heart of those that we are called to serve and allows us to enter into their story, which is what Jesus would do. And so as we wrap up our podcast, I would say, look at that reality. How do we enter their story and incarnate ourselves into their life with love just as Christ would do and then journey with them from that point and that doesn't go just with youth. That goes with anyone with these tough topics, right? It's important to journey with these people and be Christ to one another in those areas. You guys, thank you so much. Our first live podcast ever with Ministry Leaders Anonymous. We are so glad to have you guys here. If I could, for the topic of tough topics, the first podcast you should listen to is from September 4th with Jim Beckman. We deal with tough topics. Uh, there was a, a situation with a ministry leader that was removed from ministry and arrested, and just processing the heaviness of that. He gives this amazing analogy about halfway through that podcast that I think relates to what we're talking about here. And so I would encourage, if you're going to listen to one on the drive home today, to start with that one, uh, September 4th, with Jim Beckman. All right. As always, send any feedback you have to mla at ablaze.us and share this podcast with someone. And here at Ministry Leaders Anonymous, we believe that if you want to go quickly, go alone. And if you want to go far, we go together. Take some time this week to pray for other ministry leaders, to share this podcast with someone, and to dive into a tough topic. We will see you guys next week on Ministry Leaders Anonymous. God bless. That was fun, you guys. Great job. Thanks awesome. so much. Yeah, Thank and you.